0: Hi everyone. Welcome back to the channel. As you can see, we're in a slightly different setup today. We're in our studio. So we've got loads of really good content coming up. If you haven't seen some of the content already recorded in the studio, do check them out. So let's see. The first comment today is from free speech is best. If Muhammad was such a great abolisher of slavery, why was slavery so integral to the Islamic Empire's economy for more than a millennia after his death? Slave markets could be found in Medina and in Mecca. Saudi Arabia abolished slavery in 1962 only after intense international pressure to do so. Okay, so this comment was in reference to uh, the Islam and slavery video. So if you haven't seen that, do check that out. There's been a few similar comments in line with this, um, that basically Muslims practice slavery for a period of time afterwards, um, uh, so the fact that Islam is against slavery can't be true. That's basically how a lot of the comments are with regards to this particular issue. Now, um, I can only really present Islam's position uh, from the primary sources with regards to this issue, and I presented them in the video, specifically showing that Islam doesn't support slavery. And actually, through the practice of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and through the Quran, it basically is against slavery and tries to abolish slavery. That's what I talked about in the video. This wasn't a discussion about individual countries and uh, what their practices were. It was. Um, a discussion why, for example, as was raised in this comment, why Saudi Arabia didn't actually ratify the anti-slavery Um, Bill, and and it was only in 1962 that they did this. It wasn't a video targeting these particular countries and um, talking about what their reasons and justifications for continuing slavery were. It was a video looking at the primary sources, as I've mentioned. Just as another point, um, lots of people think that Saudi Arabia, because they they contain Mecca and Medina, they represent Islam or the entire Muslim population, basically, in, in terms of the general opinion of Muslims across the world. But Saudi Arabia doesn't represent Islam or the entire Muslim world, you know, in terms of opinions regarding these things, despite having Mecca and Medina in its borders. So I think it's an easy mistake to make because Mecca and Medina are in the borders of Saudi Arabia, but Saudi Arabia doesn't represent Islam and it doesn't represent the majority of Muslim scholarship. So I wouldn't use them as an example to show that Islam in any way, shape or form would support slavery or any other opinion, to be honest. So uh, from X born again, just tell me how many slaves did Muhammad own? Okay, so this is in response to the slavery, Islam and slavery video that we recorded a while back now. So Muhammad, peace be upon him, didn't actually own any slaves. So I'll just mention a couple of instances and just clarify a few things. So the first instance, which is often misunderstood, is the issue of Khadija's slaves. When the Prophet first married, he married a woman called Khadija, um, and she was a very successful businesswoman. She was very wealthy, and when they got married, she basically gave all of her wealth over to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Part of the wealth was basically slaves as well. Upon him getting this wealth from her he freed all of the slaves that came into his possession at that time so he didn't own any slaves from her at all as they were all freed once um, once they got married the other issue is one that's often misconstrued as well is the story of Zaid ibn Haritha so he was one of the slaves that was gifted to Khadija the first uh, wife of the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him Zaid he was a young boy at the time and as we've already stated when they got married and Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him freed all the slaves Zayd remained in the household with Muhammad for a long time after that But when Zaid's family actually came to find Zaid and take him back with them, Muhammad gave uh, the choice to Zaid whether he wanted to stay with Muhammad in the household where he was staying or whether he wanted to go back with his family. And he was absolutely free to go and be with his family and his relatives um, without any ransom or charge or anything like that. The Prophet, peace be upon him, was very clear about that. He was free to go and do as he pleased. And actually Zaid, which I mentioned in the video, Zaid was very adamant that he wanted to stay with the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him at which point Muhammad peace be upon him took him to uh, publicly state by the Kaaba and announced his adoption of Zaid publicly so he wasn't a slave basically but he remained under the household of the Prophet for a long time uh, thereafter with him. Okay, so the next issue that's often uh, misconstrued or misunderstood was the case of Maria al-Qibtia. She is often touted or or, or mentioned in uh, references as being a Coptic slave gifted via an emissary from Egypt in order to increase ties with Muhammad, peace be upon him. But this can't be the case that she was a slave simply because of the fact that in order to increase ties between nations, even in Europe, actually, this was a common practice with between royal families of nations within Europe. What would often happen was they would arrange marriages amongst the royal families and they would arrange marriages between men and women who were of you know, high rank, basically, or princes, princesses, etc. So the case is similar in this situation. So in order to increase ties between nations, you would send noble men or noble women uh, in marriage to, to nations in order to increase ties that way. So this is the same situation. Egypt at the time sent uh, Maria al to increase ties with Muhammad, peace be upon him, and they married. So she was a woman of high standing. She wouldn't have been a slave as such um, because you don't send, Slaves, or those who would have been considered at the time lower in social ranking um, to increase ties between nations. That doesn't make sense. She was also known as uh, one of the mothers of the believers. So she had exactly the same rank as the other wives of the Prophet, peace be upon him, who were all given the title of mothers of the believers. So it couldn't be the case that she was also a slave, basically. Uh, and the last point, which is also very commonly misunderstood, is the case of Baraka bin Thalaba. Uh, she's also known as Um Ayman uh, commonly within uh, Arabic literature she was a, an abyssinian slave of the prophet's parents and um when the prophet's mother died um was was really pivotal in raising muhammad peace be upon him after his own mother had passed away and muhammad peace be upon him actually later freed her and arranged both her marriages he actually continued to call her ummi in arabic which means my mother so she's you know clearly not a slave and it was clearly documented that he had freed her as well so there shouldn't be any misunderstanding of of the case of Umayman basically okay straight into the next comment thunder witch okay what is the point of the contract if after the war ends the prisoners just get to leave okay so this comment was in response to the prisoners of war video and Basically, Islam stance on the prisoners of war. So if you haven't watched that, I definitely recommend you go and check it out. The reason why uh, it's important to have the contract otherwise known in Arabic, uh, muqataba. So just to briefly summarize it. So mukataba is a contract which a slave or a prisoner of war can open with their uh, carer or their master to basically work towards their freedom. And it's open to, to anyone you know regardless of their age or gender or anything like that you know, so a prisoner of war or a slave can start a, a contract or this mukataba to get out of their situation. The reason why that's important to still have, you know, in the case of a war, is because, as we all know, even in international law at the moment, once a war finishes, prisoners of war should all be released, and that was the case in Islam as well. So once a war ends, the prisoners get to get to leave. So what's the point in the contract if you can just be set free once the war ends? Why don't you just bide your time? That's basically what thunder witch is asking so the reason why the contract is important is because you don't know how long the war is going to last for okay so world war one went on for about four years world war two went on for about six years or so the vietnam war lasted for 20 years okay, the war in Afghanistan lasted for 20 years before the foreign forces withdraw. So you don't know how long a war is going to last for at the end of the day. You can never suppose a war will be short-lived. So the contract or the Mukataba is there to allow the prisoner of war To start the process of freedom before the war ends, essentially. And, you know, after a war ends, you don't keep prisoners of war indefinitely, as I already mentioned, and that's a recognized international practice, you know, when wars end, and that's in order to start the process of reconciliation between countries and a return back to normality, essentially. So that was a brief kind of run into a few of the comments that you guys have uh, mentioned on some of the videos. So I'm really grateful that you guys are interacting with us um, through the channel and commenting down below and liking or disliking the videos as well it's good to get into a a conversation discussion about some of these issues that can be quite controversial so please do keep commenting if you have any questions just um, add them under the videos otherwise uh, we'll see you on in the next video so take care peace be upon you